All right, church. Uh, it was a pleasure to share that with you. I kind of love it that um, Scripture describes that as a meal together and that we get to do that, and then we're going to go have a meal together. So again, make sure you come to the potluck. It's going to be a great time. So today, before we get into um, the sermon today, we've got a special treat. Uh, if, you were, if you were here last week, you know that Ethan and Julia, I almost called you Evan, Ethan and Julia uh, went to Africa. So why don't you guys come on up here? And they were going to share last week, but it was Labor Day weekend, and I told them, hey, if we don't have what we normally have at church, we're not going to do it. And like um, most of you were at the lake last week. So um, we decided to do it this week and because um, I wanted you guys to be able to hear this. They've got um, a lot to tell us. They said they're going to be, be quick, but I told them not to worry about being so quick. So anyway, I'm excited to hear what happens. So I'll turn it over to you guys. Thanks for letting us have this space to share with you all. It's um, important for us as a family to go, but then obviously to come back and share how the Lord is working um, in the, our hearts and working in the hearts of the Kenyans. So I just appreciate this space to do this. Um, so I want to set the stage by just reminding you um, this trip was not without a lot of bumps. Um, and when I mean a lot, I mean every single thing that went wrong went wrong for us. Um, to the point where it really caused me to question, like, is this something that the Lord even is wanting for us to do? Um, but at the end of the day, we both really felt like the Lord calls you to things that maybe isn't necessarily smooth or easy. Um, and so just in that, just as a reminder, our flights, we did not have until two weeks before we were supposed to leave. Um, then they had this massive election that was coming that brought a lot of violence, which ended up causing a lot of issues for us in the country. Um, I was supposed to go in 2020, obviously COVID happened and that, that didn't work out for me. Um, and then up until two hours before we were supposed to leave, we didn't have our visas, um, which is kind of a big deal. You need a visa to leave the country. Um, and so all those things happened when we got into the country, all of the entities we were supposed to work through, the schools, the medical facilities I was going to visit, all of that was shut down because of this election. So everything that um, we were supposed to do kind of went out the window. Um, and so that allowed us to have a ton of time with us and our, our missionary friends who we have connections with through Mount Vernon. And I have known them very well. I've traveled with them in the past. Julia has not. Um, and they have a one-year-old little boy that turned one this week, and we got to spend an incredible amount of time with them, and that was very, very encouraging. Um, they spend all summer hosting teams from the states. They have lots of partnering churches that send teams over, and they are in, really in a lot of ways, tour guide mode all summer long, that they have teams of 10 to 20 people and they are showing people around. They're pointing that this rock means this to the Messiah people, and this is the you know the culture. And they're always, always, always answering questions, pointing to interesting facts, and they do an incredible job of that. But we wanted to visit as as friends, and not necessarily as a team of two of us, you know. And so it took them a couple of days to kind of decompress and relax and know that we didn't expect everything to go smoothly. We didn't expect everything to be perfect. That we didn't expect them to be on their A game the whole time. And that was really, really good. Um, that gave us insight into their day-to-day -day life, what it's like when there's not a team there. I've been there twice with teams, and it's busy. It's busy. You go from A to B to C to D all day long. They have every hour of every day planned out. And you could tell that it took them some time to step away from that a little bit. And that allowed us to see them as individuals, and that they you know, spoke about the challenges of, of being a missionary in Africa, um, about the challenge of having partnering churches, was the word I used a moment ago, but they actually don't have a sending church. And that was really intriguing to us because they made the comment, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to say this as a quote, it was something along these words. It says, we have lots of people, literally thousands of U.S., you know, church members that are praying for them and are able to celebrate victories with them um, when great things happen and a church is planted and these amazing things happen, but they don't have anyone outside their families who know when they're having a rough day or a rough week or a rough month or, you know, as they're struggling with personal things or struggling as husbands and wives and struggling as new parents, that they have really no one that they can open up about some of that stuff. Um, their family is deeply entrenched in their ministry, so there's things that they share with their family. And there's also things that, you know, it's kind of awkward to share with your family. 
And that was a great reminder for us and of Freshwater, how we have our liaison program, of how we try our very, very best to connect to people on an individual level and not see them as just the crazy missionaries in Africa, but know them by name. And we haven't even said their names yet. Their, their names are uh, Maurice and Erica, and we'll talk more about um, them visiting us soon. But, um, you know, that we want to pray for them as individuals. And we want to celebrate when amazing things happen, when they see hundreds of salvations. We want to celebrate, but we also want to be there for them when they're struggling and when they're down and, and discouraged. And um, it, it really reminds us how vital that liaison program is that Freshwater does and how that can really be impactful um, to missionaries abroad. So our actual time there, our ministry there was incredibly fruitful. Um, we got to spend a couple days doing some evangelism. Um, so when we talk about they are in what's called the Maasai tribe, um, and this tribe is a unreached people. Um, back 30 years ago when their grandparents started the ministry, their sending organization um, basically told them, don't do that. We've had ministries try and fail to go there, um, and it has not been successful. Um, but their grandparents felt, felt the Lord leading them um, to those people, and it's evident that um, they're where they're supposed to be. So since then, yeah, since then. Um, and so we had days where we went out and did some evangelism. Um, again, we would come up to, they're called Bomas, but it's like a collection of their homes um, that they, they live in within the family. And we would come up and just start sharing um, testimonies and the salvation message. Um, we saw nearly 60 salvations um, throughout that time. Um, so we do truly believe in the ministry they're doing. They're not going and sharing the gospel and then kind of saying, well, good luck. Um, we hope that we spoke enough to you um, on one day. So their main ministry, which we kind of shared before we left, was they train Kenyan pastors. They're um, seminary trained. Um, so they have an 18-month seminary on their campus that they have 30 pastors at a time um, where, again, they're, it's a Kenyan-led ministry where they're training Kenyan pastors to go work in those areas that they've evangelized to. So on the day that we um, had evangelism, kind of the, the bulk of their ministry is to evangelize in an area, raise up believers, plant a church in that area, and then go take those Kenyan pastors that they've invested in and put them in that church. Um, and so to be able to see that ministry work and work well and um, be Kenyan-led and still in the culture and Nothing that they are trying to change about their people um, was such, such a beautiful thing. So um, we talked a lot about uh, wanting to do school ministry with them. Um, because of the election, the government closed all of those things, so we weren't able to do that that time. But obviously that's something that Ethan as a teacher and a coach has a desire to do. We talked with them about... Um, plans in the future of putting a permanent medical clinic in the area. They have no medical care um, where they are. Obviously, me as a nurse practitioner, that's something that I really feel the Lord is pulling me in that direction. I've felt that way for a very long time. So I'm going in March um, to do a medical clinic there. Doing medical clinics once, twice a year is great, but is not sustainable for the long term of health. You guys would know that as well. Um, so that's what we're praying for, um, just to kind of see how those doors open up um, in the next year or two. So we're hoping, and we're working with them on their schedule. They're actually back in the States right now until uh, the beginning of January. I'm hoping to have Maurice and Erica come visit with Freshwater one Sunday and share their vision. They can do much better than we can. Um, but I do want to caution us as a church, that as, as an American church, we're naturally going to have doubts as they start to share their ministry. And as Julia mentioned to this supposedly unreached group that had no place for the gospel in their culture, as they start sharing numbers and testimonies and stories and of churches planted, our skeptical minds are going to say, hey, that, that's, that's, that's not realistic. That's, that's not real. You, you guys are um, just crazy missionaries, and you're exaggerating your numbers, and you're exaggerating the number of churches you planted and the success that you're seeing. And, and I would caution you when, when they're here to just be aware of that, that we can vouch for them that their, their numbers are real. Um, it was amazing to drive through the countryside with them, and Erica has been involved in the ministry less than her husband Maurice has, and her to say, hey, is that one of our churches? He said, yeah, we planned that church back in 2013. And hey, is that one of our churches? Yeah, of course, that, you know, the green, uh, green roof, red building, that, that's one of ours too, and you know, my grandparents planted that. That's one of the first churches they planted, and to see that happen over and over and over again throughout the Kenyan countryside, 
of these people that were supposedly unreachable. And, you know, just how crazy it is. And, and, and we're skeptical at times um, as we read their emails and see that, you know, we brought a team in from the States and saw a thousand salvations. But, you know, I, I don't want to be the one to doubt the gospel and the power of it. And I would encourage us to have um, open minds in that as well. Um, so um, be praying for them. Um, we have a conviction as a family of four um, with, with Harrison and Parker to support them as a family and to travel there, and um, we'll see how that pans out for Freshwater as a whole. That's not a decision that we get to make. Um, we can make the decision for our family, but we hope that as they visit with us and as they meet JT and um, share their vision, that, that's, that we can find our niche in our partnership um, with them or with um, other missionaries throughout the world. So um, that's all we have. Um, Say that again. Yeah, so Freshwater was built on the concept of, of being an ascending church. Um, you know, as we um, have seen that our best people that come through our church usually don't stay in our church very long. Exhibit A right here. Hey guys, we're here for a long time, but uh, move on to other places and other things. And that's the goal of Freshwater is to send. And we were built on having a very small, if no salary for our pastor, well, it has changed in the last few years, but that was early on was to send our support um, abroad, um, you know, domestic, and locally, is that that's where we want our funds to go. And things have changed over the years. It's we've had some hurdles. COVID has been a major hurdle with the ministries we support. Um, but that is, that is the vision of this church and has been from the very um, beginning. I know that we have missionaries um, with much more experience than we have um, sitting in, in, our, in our seats right now. And I know that this church has a major, major vision um, for what God's doing throughout the world. So, um, yep, let me pray for us. Dear God, um, we thank you for um, your divine pr provision, Lord, and taking care of Julie and I as we traveled um, to Kenya. We thank you for the things we saw, the people we met, um, the experiences that we had, Lord. And I pray that that will not stop with us. Um, Lord, I'm, I'm always convicted of coming back from a trip and going right back into my day-to-day -day life and, and having very little change uh, a month or two or, or six months later. Um, Lord, I pray that you would keep Maurice and Erica fresh on our minds. And Lord, I pray that as we introduce them to fresh water, that, that you would keep that relationship fresh on the, body, on the minds of the people in this body, Lord. Um, that they are people that we commit to pray for. Um, to encourage, to reach out to, to build relationships with, Lord, to send teams to. And Lord, I just pray that your name would be made great in Kenya. Lord, as we just said, that this church was built on uh, mission work, on sending people to Tom Watkins' neighborhood, um, Lord, to um, places here in the United States and to other locations throughout the world. Lord, we thank you for the hard admissions that is present in this church. And Lord, just pray that you would renew some of that fire. Um, Lord, I know that I have been discouraged in that um, in recent years. And Lord, I just pray that you would reignite that in, in our lives and in the lives of, in the minds of our leadership and in the, in the people of our body, Lord. Lord, we love you so much. And just thank you for what JD has to share with us this morning. Praise all in your name. Amen. I guess I'll turn it on now. Uh, yeah, so um, be praying about that. Um, again, for you, you newer people, we've done missions in Mexico. We've done missions in Haiti. We've went, we even went to Israel at one point. Like, we want to be a church that goes to, in particular, unreached people, and they're reaching unreached people. Um, for Ethan to say, when he said, we saw 60 people get saved, and God forgive me, I was like, explain that to me. And because we've seen in the past people go and they're like, they do this big thing and a thousand people get saved and then they leave and you go back two years later and there's no believers, right? But that's not, this is not how they do things. And so church, I'm not saying this is the answer as Ethan and Julia said so well, but um, I'm, we're going to get to meet with them. I think we're going to try to have dinner with them. They're going to come speak at our church and maybe this is a long-term partnership for us. Um, a place that's going to unreached people groups that knows what they're doing that we could, we could actually benefit. I think obviously we could benefit these missionaries by, by loving them right? Loving them and supporting them so they have the, the, the spiritual health, the emotional health to, to do the work. So be, be praying about that. I'm really excited. All right. So let's get into today. Th that might be a hint of where we're going. All right. So before we get there, let me just tell you uh, what I love about this church. L let me tell you what I love about all of you, right? Because I love you. Um, 
most of you came here and most of you ended up staying here because you didn't want to just go to church, right? You wanted to be the church. Am I right? I mean, this is not the place that you stay if you want the show, is it? I mean, look where we meet. Look how, look how much effort we put into wowing you, right, on Sunday morning, right? You came here because you truly wanted to be the church. All of that stuff, not, not, I'm not just saying good or bad, but all of that stuff is not why you're here. I think most of us in this room, like, truly want to grow in Christ. Whether we have motivation today, right now, overall, you do want to grow in Christ. You, you truly do want to see other people grow in Christ, and you want to be a part of that. You, you really want to see the gospel go forth and for people to know Jesus, right? I think you want to see people saved and brought into the family of God. And that's who we say we are, right? We want to glorify God and we want to advance the gospel. It's who we are. All of that being said, I think also most of us that attend Freshwater um, don't want to be just entertained, like I said, but want to really, want Freshwater to actually feel like a family, not just something that we say. Am I right? Like, that we want it to be a family. I know that we have said it, and it sometimes feels like a family to you and sometimes doesn't. I know other churches say things, but we really want that. You know what type of family I'm talking about? It's the type of family that we see in Acts 2. Turn to Acts 2. If you've been coming to Freshwater for any amount of time, you've read this before. You're going to read it again. Like, this is a part of our DNA. This is a part of who we are. And the reason it's a part of our DNA is right after Jesus ascended into heaven and, and Peter preaches for the first time and the Holy Spirit comes and thousands of people get saved, this is what the early church looks like. Now, before we read Acts 2, I want to caution you. Um, this is not meant to be, this is exactly what the church is supposed to look like. I mean, the apostles were teaching them. The the apostles, right? And they were, the apostles were doing the miracles. But this is a very good example of what the church could, what the church should be, right? So we're going to look at Acts 2, verse 42, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. Acts 2, verse 42. And this is right when the church began. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor. I love that part. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, deep down... I think most of us, maybe not all of us, but I think so. I think at least, at least I'm confident to say most of us here want to be a part of something like this, don't we? Like want that to be who we are. Do you know why? It's because how God made us. Have you ever thought about it that way? Like God built us to long for this kind of community. He built us to be in this kind of community. This is what the church is meant to be. Whether you're longing for it today or not, in the deepest parts of your soul, if you are truly a believer in Jesus Christ, this is what you actually want. Now, the world will distract us from that. And our busyness will kind of lead us astray. Our, our sin will cover this up. And over time, if we continue to sin, it'll really push this down. And it'll really cover it up. Because you know what sin does? It isolates us. Because your enemy wants to isolate you to get you alone so that he can destroy you. God gave us this community because we need each other. So sin will, separate, will just destroy us and separate us. And all kinds of things are going to try to lead us away from what we actually need and who we actually are. But this is who we really are. Listen, the church is not supposed to be about great speakers or perfect music or professionals in our His Kid ministry. There's nothing wrong with having a great speaker or good music. Our worship team, man, did they not kill it today considering we pulled a 180 on them last night? Like, I think that's the best we've had with tech and music working together. And I said, oh, yeah, by the way, change everything for tomorrow. Well done, guys. But that's not what it, it's not about perfect music, is it? Church, we're not meant to be a business that runs professionally and has a bunch of professionals. Do we try to do our absolute best with the gifts that God gave us and, and to be as excellent as we can for the sake of his glory? Amen to that. But this isn't, we're, not, we're not trying to be a well, efficiently run business. Man, we're, we're supposed to be a family. We're supposed to be a family that encourages each other and helps each other and builds each other up in love so that we might be more like Christ. That's what we put our heart into. That's what we put our focus on. I think other churches and our church, at times we get led astray when we forget that. 
and we start planning all of these mission ministries and hiring all these professional types and doing all of these things, making it about running efficiently instead of what this thing is really supposed to be about. Did Acts 2 sound professional? Did it sound business-like? No, it's, it sounded like, hey, we're in this together, and that's all we need. We're in this together, and that's all we need. But I think even as some of us read through a, a, a passage like Acts 2, although I think it calls to many of us, some of us immediately start thinking of all the, all the reasons that, yes, as the church, we should live that out, but, but for me, I don't know if I can live that out. Now, you might not actually do that right away, but if you start really thinking through, like, well, yeah, I, I know that's what I want, that's what that church is supposed to be, but I've got these busy things in my life. Like, I've got, uh, like, all this going on. You've got sin in your life that's preventing this. Those things that we talked about earlier, all of those things get in the way, and so you don't really see what you need, and your heart gets led astray. Well, I'll get to that eventually, and so you're all out here doing all of these things, and it's, hi- it's hiding what God has placed in the deepest parts of your soul, a longing for this kind of community. Church, today I'm not here to, to hammer on those things. I just want us to recognize them. Recognize that, that although our lives get busy and there are things that we need to get, take care of, we, we center so much of our lives on all the things that we need to do, we forget about who we are and who we're meant to be together. This is the thing that's supposed to define our lives. And I know that's hard because the church is messy, isn't it? Oh man, is the church messy because it's a hospital for sinners. We all need Jesus because we're all messed up. So it's going to be a mess at times. It's going to be beautiful at times and other times it's going to be a mess a beautiful mess, but a mess. So it's easy to run to other things, but this is the thing that's supposed to define us. This is the thing that's supposed to teach us grace and mercy and love. Our families, our marriages, and our church. Everything else is supposed to be secondary. And for those of you that have known me for the nine years back from the beginning, I'm not saying this because I'm a pastor. I was a business guy, right? I didn't long for these things before either. I was distracted by the world and then God changed everything in my life. So I'm not standing up here on an ivory tower not understanding what it is to be you. I was in business for 15 years and I know how hard the balance can be. But this is the thing. This is the thing. So here's what we're going to do. Over the next five weeks, we're going to take a break from the Gospel of John that we've been walking through for a year and a half to focus on and be reminded of the things that actually fulfill us, the things that actually transform us, the things that the Spirit of God has done and is doing in us. We are going to just realign our hearts and our minds on what it really means to live for Christ, not just as individuals, church, but as a family of God together. You know, over the last couple of months, um, I've had a lot of conversations. I've had a lot of conversations specifically about um, what, what it means to be the church, what it means to be a church family, what, what our church needs, what we need to be healthy, what we need to grow. And I mean, like, m- maybe grow in numbers, but, you know, that's not what I care about. I care about being healthy. If we're healthy, we will grow. People will come. We will make disciples. That's just a part of the process. So what do we need to be healthy? And with a lot of thought in a lot of prayer, a lot of conversations, a lot of seeking the Lord, a lot of time in his word, that's where this series came out of. That's why we felt like we needed, as a church, needed this series, because not only that, did the conversations all lead us here, but it felt like so many of you were saying the same things, which is a pretty good sign we're on the same track, right? I would have somebody come to me and say, you know what's really been on my heart Nikki Young, is this, this thing. And it was just the thing I talked about with somebody the day before, and I talked about with my wife the day before that, and I talked about with an elder the day before that. That's when you know you might be on the right track. That kept happening again and again. So today, if you haven't noticed, we're starting a new series called Disciple. And I don't know if you know this or not, but the, the series was originally called Discipleship. But, but I t- I, in a, after a little bit of time, I changed it. It just wasn't right. Now, we're going to talk about the importance of discipleship in this series. In fact, we're going to talk about it a lot. But what I realized when I named it discipleship, it was wrong because discipleship is not at the heart of this thing. Discipleship is not at the heart of this series. At the heart of this series, and what I think is right at the heart of what we need as a church and what we need as as individuals is a simple question. This, what does it really mean to be a disciple? What does it really mean to be a disciple? Because here's the thing. Do you know the word discipleship is not used in the Bible at all? Not once. Now, 
that doesn't mean it's a bad word to use. There's lots of words that we use that aren't technically in the Bible, but are helpful in describing things that are in the Bible, like that our God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But what's the word we use to describe that? The Trinity, right? There's nothing wrong with using the word Trinity. It's a good word to describe what is obviously in the Bible. So there's nothing wrong with with using the word discipleship. But if we are going to use the word discipleship, we better have a really good understanding of what, what that word is derived from. Where we get the root of that word so that we can do it well. On the other hand, do you know how many times the word disciple is used in the Bible? In the New Testament, is used more than 260 times. 260 times. It's used over and over. Now, here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to shout out answers, but this question I'm about to ask, I want you to, I want you to actually think about this. When I say we are, be, we are to be disciples of Christ, what comes to your mind? Think about it for a second. When I say we're to be disciples of Christ... What actually comes to your mind? Here's what I think. I think for for many of you, one of the first things, if not the first thing that came to your mind when I said, what does it mean to be a disciple of Christ is what you're supposed to do. Are, Are the things that you're supposed to do. And listen, that's important, right? As disciples, we are called to do a lot of things. We are called to follow God's commands. We are called to walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, as, as Scripture says. Yes and amen to that. But hear me, that is not even close to the most important thing of what it means to be a disciple. It's not even close. This is why we didn't call this series Discipleship, even though that would have been fine. Or start with what discipleships mean, because discipleship will never be what it should be in our lives. It'll never be what it should be in our church if we aren't rooted in the most important foundational truth first. Does that make sense? So here it is. Here's where we're going to start. Here's where the foundation is going to start being built. It's this. I think we have the first slide. Right here. This is the foundation we're going to build on. Discipleship is breathed out of a clear understanding of our identity in Christ, not out of what we're supposed to do for Christ. That's the foundation, church, not what we're supposed to do for Christ. It's breathed out of our understanding of our identity in Christ. Think about it this way. For you daughters out there, for those that are a daughter, right? I think half the room, maybe more. Are you a daughter because you love your parents well? Are you a daughter because you do really, biblically, you do it really well and you honor your father and your mother? Are you a daughter because your mom or dad wants you to call them and you don't call them enough and they're on you about calling you more and then you don't call them enough, but then you finally call them enough, then, then are you a daughter? No. You're a daughter because you are a daughter. And you can't change it. Even if your parent abandons you, your parent dies, your parent says, I want nothing to do with you, you're no longer my daughter, are you still their daughter? Yes, you can't do anything about that. If you're in this world and you are a woman, you are a daughter. It is simply true. It is simply who you are. Nothing can change that. In the same way, church, if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, and I mean, he really is your Lord and Savior, you have been adopted into his family. It is done. You are his child. You are his son or daughter. You are a child of God. It's simply who you are, whether you recognize it or feel it on a particular day or not. I love, I just love how Romans 8 says this. Romans 8 says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Man, I just love it. There's days I just need to read that. I just need to breathe that in. I just need to believe that this is true. This is who you are, church. This is who you are. Listen, this is the most foundational truth about you. And I don't think for 95% of us in the room that this is any shock to you, 
But so often we don't live in this. We, we have to live in this. We have to hold on to this. We have to believe this. We have to move forward in this before we're ever going to get anything else right. We're ever going to be who we're meant to be. So this is the foundation that we're going to build this series on. And so if we're going to build it well, we need to know what a disciple actually is. And so here's the definition we used to use for disciple. We used to use, it was something like this. I didn't look it up exactly, but a disciple is someone who's learning to love and live like Jesus Christ. Now, is that bad? I, that, that's a pretty decent, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. It's not wrong, someone learning to live and love like Jesus. I mean, that's, that is correct, but I don't feel like it's wholly correct. I don't think it's totally correct. Because did you see the problem with it? It's still rooted in what we're supposed to do, isn't it? Learning to live and love like Jesus. Yes and amen. Learn to love and live. That is disciple. But, but I, I think we're missing it with that definition. Because it's not, it's not rooted in the image that we bear that defines everything about us. It's not about our identity, which is what a disciple really is. So here's our new definition for what it means to be a disciple. You got that one over there, Denver? A disciple is a follower of Christ that by faith has been united to Christ and through an ever-deepening relationship with God is growing to be more like Christ. Let me say it again. I know you can see it, but let's read it again. I want it to sink in. A disciple is a follower of Christ that by faith has been united. That's a big word, united to Christ. And through an ever-deepening relationship with God is growing to be more like Christ. Now, I want you to notice that that definition isn't really talking about what we're supposed to do, isn't it? Now, if we live that out, there'll be things that we will do, but that's not talking about what we are supposed to do, and that was intentional. Because I don't want us to get the wrong idea about disciple. Do you know the word Christian is only used in the New Testament three times? And, and you can argue it's used in a derogatory way, like, like oh, those Christians, right? Those followers of Jesus. Disciple is the word that's used, really, to describe by, by Jesus and many others, describe who we are. We're a disciple, a Christian, a disciple. That's what that is. When we say we're going to disciple someone, I'm not discipling them. I'm not discipling you to be more like me. Of course, you're going to follow some of the patterns of my life if I'm spiritually help, helping guide you as I am on Sunday morning. But um, you're, not, I'm, you're not my disciple. You're a disciple of Christ. That's what this is. To be a Christian is to be a disciple of Christ. So we can use those things interchangeable. So often we think disciple what we should do. No, disciple is who you are. Just like when we say Christian, that is who you are. That is who you are. We're supposed, we are supposed, what we're supposed to do as disciples is really, listen, really, really important. But church, if we start there, and so often in your own hearts, your own minds, your own prayers, your own lives, you start there. I know that you do. If we start there, we're never going to experience the peace and the joy and the hope that God, listen, is promising us in his word. Remember, Jesus said, I want you to have joy I want you to have my joy and for it to be full. He said, I want you to have my peace. Not just peace, but my peace. This is what God wants for you, but we're never going to experience if we're always starting with us and starting instead of starting with who we are in Christ because of what he has done. Listen, you know, God is not the most glorified by your begrudging, joyless submission. Now, do we still have to obey God all the time. Yes, of course we do. But that's not what glorifies him. The most. No, no. It, he is most glorified when we delight in him, when we find our joy for him, when we joyfully live for his name, when, when we live in his peace and it's running through us and when the world can see that, right? Because the reason God is most glorified in that is because that's who God is. God is joy. He is hope. He is peace. He is love. And so if we're living in the joy and the hope and the peace in that love, we will reflect that to the world and we will bring God glory. Listen, God's going to get glory either way, but this is how we can give God the most glory. So, with that, let's go back to our definition and break it down. Let's start with this. A discipler is a follower of Christ. At its root, this is what it means to be a disciple. This is what disciple means in Scripture. To be a follower, to be a learner, to be a student, to be someone who follows the example or the life of another. And I think John just does a great job of showing this in John 1, right at the beginning of John. Now, I told, told you we're going to take a break from John. 
right? But John says it so well, I want to start here, about, about what it means to be a follower of Christ. Right here, John 1. But to all who did receive him, who followed him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were not born, who were born, remember he told later, to be born again, to be born again in Jesus is what he's talking about, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. I love that because it's not by your will, it's not by your effort, it's not by your works that you have been saved, but you have been saved by the free gift of God by grace. Through faith, you are saved, you are redeemed by the mercy of God. Romans 10 says it like this, Romans 10, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, justified, made right with God. And with the, with, the, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. This is first. This is primary. This is the most powerful truth that we must stand on and be defined by church. That we are children of God because we have been born again in him through faith. This is the thing that we need to consistently proclaim to ourselves, right? But who condemns you more than yourself? Right? What greater condemnation comes than the condemnation that comes from yourself? So we need to preach the gospel. We need to preach the truth of this, this foundation to ourselves all the time. I am not saved because of me. I am saved because of him, his free gift of grace. He's made me his child. I'm born again because of him. I confessed it and then just received it. I can move forward in him. So we need to confess this to ourselves. We need to stand on this truth for ourselves. But we also need to have, have this, this truth always on the tip of our tongues, always right, right, fresh in our minds so that we might be able to proclaim it to anyone who doesn't know Jesus or anyone who needs to know Jesus more. And who's that? Everybody right? That's, that, listen, you don't get off the hook on that because that's everybody. We all need Jesus more. This is our foundation. But, but, being a disciple is about way more than just being saved and justified, isn't it? So often we stop there, and this is a theme that's been running through my preaching for about the last six months, and maybe you're getting tired of hearing it, but I'm going to say it again and again because I see it in discipleship. I see it in your lives. I see it in our marriages all of the time. So often we stop in our hearts, in our minds with the fact that we've been saved, and it, it really goes something like, you wouldn't say this, but I can see it in the way that you live your life and that you think about God and you think about yourself, that basically, yes, I was a worthless sinner, sinner and, and Jesus Christ saved me, praise God. I'm still pretty worthless, but now he has to love me because he saved me. Now, you wouldn't say it that way, but the way that you treat yourself, the way it through, the way you treat yourself, that you think about yourself, that you think about your sin, you think about your worth, says that you don't really trust what Jesus Christ did to you. We all need this all the time, speaking the truth to ourselves about who we really are. But Jesus Christ did so much more than just save a worthless person, didn't he? No, Jesus Christ saved you and he transformed us. He made us new and then he welcomed us into his family. And more crazy than that, he invited us into his very person. Do you ever think about it that way? He invited us into his very person. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, let's go back to our definition of a disciple. A disciple is a follower of Christ, a believer who's believed by faith. That by faith has been united to Christ. Church, I want you to hear me on this, and don't, I'm not exaggerating. There's no exaggeration what I'm about to say. I know it might sound like it. There's not. This kind of truth, that you have been united to Christ, if you truly studied it, and dwelled on it, and prayed over it, and talked about it, and lived in it, you would completely change. Christ would completely change you. Turn to Romans 6. I want us to look at this together. If you were in Acts, just go right in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. I've said this a few times lately, but this is one of those passages after we read it, I want you to, un I want you to underline it. If you've got your phone, I want you to highlight it. I want you to look over this. This is one of those, this is one of those passages I want you to memorize. 
And again, when I say memorize, this is not check the box, memorize something so you can feel like a good Christian. This is the kind of truth that if it is with you all of the time, I'm talking all of the time. It's in your heart all of the time. So on the day when your heart condemns you, it's there. On, your, on those days when your heart's going condemn to somebody, condemn somebody else, it's there. On those days when you're going to give into the flesh, it's there. On those days when you don't feel like you're good enough, it's there. This is the kind of truth that will transform your heart and mind to be more like Christ and everything about you. It's nothing less than that. So I want you to highlight it. I want you to underline it. We're going to read Romans 6, verses 5 through 8. Romans 6, verses 5 through 8. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self, listen, past tense, was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to, what's the word? Nothing. Nothing, so that we would no longer, be in, no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also, the word, live with him, church. Live, that's what God wants for you, to live in him. What, church, what if? What, what if? What, what if? That was fresh in your heart and in your mind every single day. On days when, when sin felt near, on days when worry or fear or anxiety was threatening to overwhelm you, on days when busyness was consuming you, on those days when life was just too much and you just want to go check out on a screen or go check out with something else, even though you know deep down that your mind needs to check out, you feel like you need to check out, but you know that you do that, you know it's not what you need, you know it's not going to feed your soul, you know it's not going to be good for you, but you're going to do it anyway because you just want to check out. But what if on those days when you know that's where your heart's going and your mind's going and you know it's going to be unhealthy, this was fresh in your mind? What, 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 what if it was always there? What if you actually believed and it was in your mind that you were reminded that Christ has already set you free from the power of these things? That it's already been done. The whole passage is past tense. You were a slave. You have been set free. You are a new person. You have union with Christ. You have died with him. You have raised with him. You do have life with him. What if we didn't treat God like he was a liar? We actually believed his promises and ran to them all the time. Listen, I don't do this. I'm, I'm, I'm striving to do this. I'm striving for this to be my life. You don't do this either. But what if, church, what if this was the thing that defined everything about us, that was the foundation of our life, and not all the things out there were the first things that we thought of, but this was the first thing we thought of? What if the truth that Jesus died so that, that our, we would know that our old self was dead? What if that was always near? that your old self really is dead. Your old sinful self is dead. What if the fact that Jesus rose so that a new self, a, a new self washed clean of sin, not guilty, and has the righteousness of Christ, what if that was always near? What if the fact that Jesus actually conquered Satan and sin on the cross and has got, purchased victory on the cross and that you walk in that victory all the time, what if that was always fresh in your heart, in your mind? Always. What if it was always there so that sin and the pull of this world would never, ever again have any real power over you? For the power of Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, was always, always with you, always. And what if it was always fresh in your heart and your mind that Jesus' plan was always not just to save you, but for us to have our identity so firmly rooted in him that we would actually understand what he means when he says, I want you to have life in me and have it abundantly. Scripture takes this unity with Christ so far, so deeply, this oneness we have with Christ. It says this in 1 Corinthians 6, 17. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. 
Isn't that crazy? Like with the Lord and Savior, with the King of Kings, with God Himself, we use the same language He uses for marriage. One spirit with Him. Listen, that's how much Jesus is with you, is in you, is for you. It's, it's as John says, and Jesus says in John 17, as I am one with the Father, you are one with me. This is why the Apostle Paul and Galatians can go this far in Galatians 2.20. And Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. That same union language, right, that we've been unified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Just we read this. You've heard this if you've been in church long enough, but have you ever thought about that, that statement? It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me because I'm one spirit with him because I've been unified with him. In the life now, that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. In the faith and all of these promises, all these things that we're saying in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Church, you are so united to Christ. You are so filled with the Holy Spirit. You are so close to the King of kings and the Lord of lords that your striving for holiness is not primarily about your effort, but about your recognition that Christ is working out his holiness through you. You already have his holiness. Positionally with God and with Christ, you are holy. And so our life is relationally realizing that we're not practically holy and it's not striving really hard. I got to strive so hard to be holy. Yes, we need to strive. Yes, we need to have self-control. Yes, we need to have self-discipline. Yes, and amen to that. But it's all, it's all driven by the fact we know that Christ and his power and his spirit and his holiness and his righteousness is already there for me. I have already achieved this thing because Christ achieved it for me. Why am I striving so hard? I need to rely I need to believe, and then I need to move forward. I need to believe the power of the cross to change me, to redeem me, to transform me. And listen, leave it behind and move forward. Because it's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. This is why Paul will also, also says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Church, that is not about winning football games. This is about actually living out what he's called you to live, which feels impossible at times, doesn't it? It feels impossible sometimes to walk in holiness. But this is Jesus saying, I am in you. I am with you. I am one spirit with you. I've been unified for you. I died for you so that you could die. I rose for you so that you could rose. You are a new creation in me. Actually believe it and then let's go. Let's go forward. Let's go to the upward call that I have on your life. Oh my gosh, this is so good. This is what God wants for you. These aren't platitudes. This, this is life, church. I was talking to Russ. This is okay, right, Russ? We kind of talked about it. I, you know, he doesn't care. I was talking to other Russ the other day. We had lunch on Wednesday or Thursday. And um, he used this phrase. And at first I was like, hmm. And then he explained it, and I was like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. He said, he said, what you're saying is this is about God restoring the real you. I was like, okay, explain. But he said something along these lines, right? Restoring the real you is recognizing what we lost in the garden. Then in the garden, Adam and Eve, we had a perfect relationship with God, didn't we? Adam and Eve did. They had a perfect relationship with them. They had perfect intimacy. They really were one with God. They, they knew his will. They walked in and everything they did brought him glory. It was beautiful. Joy all the time. Pleasure all the time. This is not some fairy tale. This is it. Like This is what being in God's presence is. Joy, fullness, wholeness, shalom. And then it broke. And we lost that connection. And we lost that closeness. And we lost that intimacy with God. But not only that, centered in the picture, and it just broke everything. And what Christ is doing through the power of the Holy Spirit that is within you is one step at a time. He's restoring you back to that image. We were created in the image of God to walk with God. And one step at a time, Jesus is restoring who you really are, what you were created to be. He's restoring that relationship, that closeness, 
that we had with, with the Father before all that intimacy was lost. Because it's in him all these things are found, not in you. So that's what Jesus is doing. This is what sanctification is. One step at a time, he's restoring you to the image of Jesus Christ, who is the perfect reflection of this. As Hebrews says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the perfect imprint of his nature. Jesus' glory is what we're striving towards because in Jesus' glory, we find the image we were created in because he's the perfect reflection of it. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this way more beautifully, beautifully than I can. It says this, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. Who's the glory of the Lord? It's Jesus Christ. He is the radiance of the glory of God. Beholding the glory of the Lord. Beholding Jesus are being transformed into the same image, the image we are created in, the image that Jesus is from one degree of glory, one degree of more like Jesus to another, being restored to the original image we were created in. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. This is all accomplished by the Holy Spirit who is within us, making us more like Jesus Christ. This, this is it, church. God is restoring you back to the real image that you were created in through your union with Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit within you. This is the most important truth about you. Did you hear that? This is the most important truth about you. Because I want you to see, it's not really about you. It's about who God is and what he did for you and what he's calling you into. This is what it means to be a disciple of Christ. This is what it means to be a family that recognizes who we are so that we can love and show grace and forgive and be patient and have compassion and do all the things that we just, you know, let's be honest, we really don't want to do about half the time because it's hard. And people deserve our bitterness and they deserve our resentment and they don't deserve grace and, it, and, it, and people treat us in a way that's not fair. Well, praise God that he didn't give us what's fair. Amen? He gave us grace. This is, how, this is how discipleship happens. This is the foundation because this is who you are. This defines everything about you. And you know what else? This brings glory to God. Faithful disciples who love him and understand what he's done and have joy. In the lowest times in your life, having joy in what he's done. In the highest times of your life, praising him and giving him joy for the blessing. This is what brings God glory. And then finally, let's look at the last part of our definition of a disciple. A disciple is a follower of Christ that by faith has been united to Christ and through an ever-deepening relationship with God is growing to be more like Christ. You know, I didn't plan it this way. But the last month or so, the last five or six passages we've covered in the Gospel of John have basically been talking about this exactly. That was not part of the plan it's like there's someone out there looking out for us and helping us plan things. It's so weird. In John 15, Jesus told us that if we abide in him, the vine, right? The vine. We're the branches. The branches can't survive on their own. They have no strength on their own. They can't feed themselves. We can, they, can't, they can't bear fruit. They can't do anything. Branches don't even know who they are because they're dead without the vine. So, if we abide in the vine, Jesus Christ... And if we abide in his love, that we will obey him. And if we obey him, we will, we will bear fruit for him. And if we bear fruit for him, we will bring glory to God. We will be, bring glory to God. And is that not why we say we exist, church? To glorify God and advance his gospel? By abiding in the Lord we will bear fruit. We will advance the gospel. And by doing so, we will bring glory to God. But John makes it very clear to us. No, Jesus makes it very clear to us in John that all of this is driven by love. It's all worthless without love. Love for God, our 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 understanding of his deep and abiding love for us and our love for other people. That needs to be our deepest desire. That's what Jesus is trying to build down into us, a love for God and a love for people. It is the greatest commandment. And it's through a relationship with God that we all can become more like Christ 
and we can be effective for Christ in advancing his gospel. This is how it happens. This is how we move forward in this. Now, a passage that's going to define the rest of this series is going to be Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Most of you have heard this before. It's one of the last things that Jesus ever said. I think we got it over there, don't we? Matthew 28 says this, And Jesus came and he said to them, All authority, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. I am with you always to the end of the age. We are called to go and make disciples church which means we are, called, we are called to go and share the gospel with the lost. We are called to go share Jesus with the lost. And then what, we are, what are we called to do? Then we're called to teach them to observe. Another word for that is obey. You know what another word for that is? Discipleship. We're to disciple them into what it means to be a disciple. You see how discipleship is actually a weird word? Samuel, was it you and I were talking about how we have to come up with a different word than discipleship. It's just confusing. It, it, it messes it up. It, it points us to, it, it's a good word. It's fine. We're going to keep calling it discipleship. But you see how it can lead us astray? Like discipleship is about what we need to go do instead of pointing us to who we are. So we do teach people to obey. We do teach them to observe all that God commanded. But, but at first, the first thing we do is we make disciples, disciples who understand who they are. Or as we said in our definition of what it is to be a disciple, it starts with an ever-deepening relationship with God that grows us to be more like Christ. Now, let's, let's, keep, it, let's keep it all straight before we, we close today. Did, did Jesus go and make disciples? Yes, right? Did, did Jesus teach people to obey the commands of God? Y- yes. Did, did Jesus take, this, take his love and show love to the poor? Yes. Did Jesus take the gospel to the lost, the hurting, the broken, the far off? Yes. Did Jesus tell his disciples to go make more disciples? Yes. So yes, we are to go. We are to do. We are to obey. We are to take the gospel forward. But it all must start with who we are because of what he did Oh, and church, if we can do that, oh, church, if we can get this, if we can root ourselves in this foundation, man, there's no stopping what what God can do with us. And so over the next four weeks, what we're really going to be doing is we're going to be looking at the way that Jesus Christ discipled. Because if you look at Jesus' life, he did disciple the masses, didn't he? And the people would gather around him and he would teach and he taught a lot. He doesn't, we don't actually see a lot of that in the Gospel of John, ironically. But in Matthew and Mark and Luke, like, we see Jesus teaching all the time. Jesus disciples the masses, the groups, the crowds, the gathering, right? Church, this is discipleship right now. This is discipleship. This is making disciples and teaching them to observe and obey. So Jesus did that, and we need to do that. But Jesus also had the smaller group, didn't he? He had his 12 And he had the other people like Mary who were with him all the time. And so in a much more personal way, in a much more life-centered way, like doing, actually doing life together, really personal, talking about exactly what was going on in their hearts and minds, Jesus discipled in that way too, didn't he? So we're going to talk about what discipleship looks like, making disciples looks like in the context of small group, of life groups, or groups like that. But then Jesus also discipled the one, or the three, where he would pull James and John and Peter aside and say, hey, come, come, come follow me. Let's, I want you to see this. Or he would pull just Peter aside. Remember, the, if you know the end, we're not going to do it now, but if you ever remember how he discipled Peter, he looks Peter right in the eyes and just says to him exactly how it is because he loves him. Really personal rooted in confession and owning your stuff and being real and vulnerable because Jesus sees right into their souls. And so he disciples in that way too. Intimate, close, truly knowing each other so that we might grow in Christ. Church, that's, that's where we're going. That's where we're going in a couple weeks. Those are the things that we're going to be talking about. Because then lastly, what did Jesus do? He did all of those things and then he said, go. Now you go and make disciples. This is where we're going in this series. And I can't wait. 
I'm telling you, I am fired up. Could you tell I'm fired up today? I am fired up. I can't wait for the rest. I think by the end of this series, all of us are going to be fired up. We're all going to be excited. We're just going to watch how God is going to work, and he's going to change our hearts and our minds and mold us and shape us for the sake of his glory and the advancement of the gospel. I don't think it's any coincidence that they're up here talking about Africa. I don't want to get ahead of myself. We haven't made a commitment yet. But man, God is moving. There's things that we've been praying for that are moving in place, and I'm fired up. And then there's a lot of you talking to me about the same thing. I think we really need to talk about discipleship. Me too, right? It's all moving together at the same time. I'm excited. But this week, this week, I want you laser focused on what it means to be a disciple and what it says about who you are because of who he is. About what it means to be Christ, to be unified to Christ, and what it means to have a deep and abiding relationship that spurs you on to grow in Christ. Or as what Russ said, that God, through the giving of his son and the power of the Holy Spirit, is help, trying to help you understand the real you and grow towards the real you. So before I close, I want to say this. I know we only have two life groups right now. We're about to launch life groups. Denver's going to talk about it. We're about to launch life groups in two weeks. We're going to have new life group signups, and, we're going, to, and then we're going to launch new life groups, and I can't wait. But listen, this is too important for you not to talk about this week. Do you hear me? What, what we're going to do, like this is it. This is the foundation of our series. This is the foundation of Freshwater going forward. This is who you are. This is what you need to build your identity on. And I'm not saying because of me. This is scripture. This is the word. Build your identity on. And I don't want you to leave today and by Monday forget it. It's too important. Your life's too busy. Listen, you need to meet with someone this week. Every, every one of you. Like, get the excuses out of your brain. I'm saying this because I love you. We all are busy. We all have excuses. This is too important. You meet with someone this week and you talk about this. Listen, my life group meets at 6.15 on Wednesdays. Come to my life group. I don't care if we have 40 people there. Everybody come. Denver, what time does your life group meet? Right after church. Today, can they come? You're not doing your life group? Everybody's coming to my life group. <laughs> They've got the potluck. They've got the potluck. It's too important. Listen, if you've got a discipleship relationship, make it happen this week. If you don't have a discipleship relationship and you have a person who's your, a friend in the church, you meet with them this week. If you have an acquaintance that you don't really know and you only kind of like, meet with them this week and talk about this. It's, it's just too important. It's too important. It's the foundation of everything. This is how we're going to live in, in an Acts 2 way. This is where this is going to come from. This is the foundation that can change everything. Will you, do, will, will, will you do that this week? Will you meet with someone this week? You're afraid to say yes, aren't you? Like, look, what does that say about us? I'm not, this is not a guilt trip. What does it say that we, you can't commit right now over the next seven days to meet with someone to talk about this? I'm giving you seven days. I'm fired up. I'm going to lose my voice. Come on. I'm going to be like old time pastor. Seven days. Meet with someone. Talk about this. You want my sermon? I'll send you my sermon. I'm okay. You're all right. She's shaking. Gosh, church, how are we going to grow out of our funk, out of our fog, out of the past, out of everything that we've dealt with as a family and become a family if we can't meet once in seven days? Sarah, you get a pass. You're going to be in Hawaii. Talk with, us, talk with your sibling. Talk with your sibling. Yeah, on the phone, on the, like at the airport. Chris, he'll talk to you. I've got to end this thing. Jeez, we've got to go eat. All right. Church, this really is. This is everything. This is everything. Let's pray. Oh, God. We are so thankful for you. God, we worship you and we praise you and we walk in your, the joy of who you are. God, help us to rejoice today. God, we could bring all of our sin and our busyness and our apathy and our distractions and all that stuff in this room and we can make that about what today is, but it's not. It's about the fact that you've redeemed all of it. That your, your, your blood and your body paid for all of it and now you're saying, come, come and know my peace. Come and know my joy. God, help us to hold on to it. Help us to grip it. Help us to be filled with your spirit, which is the thing that will actually change us. Help us to believe that these things are true. 
And that our job and our busyness and our kids and, and our hobbies and our distractions and our fear and our worry and our anger and our grudges and all of those things, they are not who we are. Those are the things we've been set free from. That we are your children. Children of blessing who have been saved and will be saved in the last day. Jesus, I pray you would help us to be defined by you and you alone and that you would rebuild our identities on the foundation of that truth and that this family would truly become a family, healthy and growing for the sake of your name, for the sake of your glory, and for the advancement of the gospel. Jesus, we pray these things in your mighty, glorious, beautiful name. Amen. <clears throat> and that's all my voice has left. So if you need prayer, I can talk quietly. I'll be over in the corner. I would love to pray with you. I would love to talk with you. Listen, if you want to come confess something so that you might move forward in Jesus, come confess that thing. I'm not going to judge you. Let's confess and let's move forward in Christ. If you need anything, come talk with me. Me and a few others will be over in that corner. Love to pray with you. Otherwise, why don't you stand and we'll sing praises to God.